0: O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Good to worship with you this morning. We are uh, taking time to look at a series on relationships at Liberty Fairmount. And basically, we're in uh, sermon number five of about a 14-part series. And one of the things we decided to do earlier on was to start to track on Sundays with passages of scripture that would then be used to... um, be the basis for our discussions together and our home meetings throughout the week. If you look on the back of the program, you'll see where the home meetings are listed. It's a primary way where we stay connected and work out the gospel in life and uh, discussion and prayer together, thinking through the implications of the gospel for what it means to live together. And so relationships, community is really important to us, and relationships are really important to us, yet there's a lot of things that stand in the way. And so we're taking time to go ahead and look at a series on relationships I was thinking about when we're most who we are. I was thinking about our identity, when we're most who we are. And I was thinking about, um, there was an old business uh, uh, guru who wrote, a, wrote several books on, on different aspects of leadership. And one of the books that he recommended in one of his writings was a book called Mastery. It's an interesting book. It's a very small paperback book. And the idea is that Mastery, behind uh, mastery behind athletic prowess for example is not found in the moment of grandeur it's not found in the moment of the slam dunk or the for the runner, the moment of the finish line those are neat moments but the mastery is not found there mastery is found in the everyday ordinary moments um, you can see it on Kelly Drive when you run along the uh, path there or you ride your bike along the path you'll see most of the people are running out there and they're kind of We're kind of just trying to keep it together, you know, and doing what we need to do. But every once in a while, we'll pass somebody who is just in step, and they are in sync. And you know that they're a runner, right? And and it's not them crossing the finish line. You're seeing mastery. You're seeing them be who they are, right? It's a fluid motion. It often looks like more animal-like, like a graceful animal, like a gazelle running through a field. It's, it's unbelievable to watch. Keep your eye out. Next time you're on Kelly Drive and you see, uh, you know, just keep your eye out for some of these people who, who just come along and they have it. They're doing mastery in front of you. They're who they're meant to be. Well, When it comes to worship, our relationships are tied up in who we are, our identity, and our identity is tied up with worship and what we worship and who we worship. And so we're going to look, our agenda this morning is just to look at verses 1 through 7. We're going to unpack a little bit about how we're to enjoy the beauty of worship. That has a lot to do with who we are in our relationships with one another. So we're going to look at how do we enjoy the beauty of worship. We're going to look at the fear, that we're supposed to fear the ugliness of rebellion, verses 7 through 11. Fear the ugliness of rebellion. And then lastly, we're going to look at entering into God's rest. That concept is talked about, verse 8. But some of the references in the psalm we'll have to unpack further so you can understand it. Let's start with uh, enjoying the beauty of God's worship. All right, verse 3. One of the things you see right there is for, the word for. This is why we're doing all of this, right? The psalm is a, is a worshipful psalm. It's talking about gathering in God's presence and worshiping, singing praises to his glory. For... And this is why the Lord is a great God, verse 3. He's a great God. The Lord alone is God and is magnificent. Compared with the Creator, all other gods are non-gods. There's an interesting wordplay here that you miss in the English, but it's there in the Hebrew. Compared with the Creator, all other gods, not Elohim, but Elohim, meaning imitations of the real thing. The similarity of the Hebrew words is a lot like the... um, when we use the word idol for something that we would worship falsely, construct ourselves in worship, right? Idolatry, idol, and idol in English meaning, I'm going to take my rest, I'm going to not move, I'm going to be inert, I'm going to be idle, right? So there's a word play, and that same word play is used for anything else that pretends to be God. It's a non-God, Right? It's a non-god. It's an imitation of the real thing. So the Lord is great, verse 3. The Lord is a great king. The Lord is magnificent in his reign as king, in his sovereign rule, beyond any imagined deity. Verse 4 says he's above all gods. All gods. And this is, you know, the, the gods are an imagined thing. Now... Some of the things that we see there in 4 and 5 are the Lord is over the mountain peaks. And, you know, if you go to the, you go to the depths, he's there. You go to the mountain peaks, of the sky, he's there. He is Lord over that. He's, he's uh, in control of that. He's sovereign over that. Why are they talking like this? Why is the psalmist topic talking like this? Well, it's in contrast to the non-gods, the non-entities that uh, are thought to manage the earth in ancient Near Eastern culture. So for example, in pagan thought in the day, the depths were ruled by a god named Molech. And the mountain peaks were ruled by Baal and the sea by Tiamat. But in the Bible, all is in his hand. Everything is in his hand, whether it's the depths, the mountain peaks, wherever it's at, it's in his hand. The Lord is great, he's our king. Is also verse one, and this is important. And, and the, the entire psalm is unpacking this period of redemptive history. In this part of the passage, he is the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. What does this language mean? It's fantastic, and this is one of the places. You know, the thing that we're one of the things we're focusing on this year. And ministry is to learn the scripture more deeply. Learn how it interconnects, learn how uh, passages relate to one another. We have a terrible habit in western culture of just looking at a passage and taking it and drawing a line straight to us. And this is one of the places where you get to see profoundly that it's just not the way that you need to read scripture. You need to know it more deeply and so let's, let's look at it a little bit. The rock of our salvation, where does this rock of salvation language come from? This great God and King who is above all gods, he is the Lord, the rock of our salvation. God's people are encouraged to sing to the Lord, the one from whom salvation flows. The one from whom salvation flows, even when it seems impossible. So what, they're ta- what the psalmist is talking about is Exodus 17, 1 through 7, where the Lord presents himself as a saving rock. He's reliable, he's active, he's the living fount of life, saving from death. Now, Before I describe Exodus 17 to you, we've got to just pause and recall what was in the psalmist's mind for everything that the Lord had done to the people, for the people of God up to this moment. Pause for a second. What had come before, preceding the saving rock incident in Exodus 17, was the Passover, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, the Exodus. The institution of Passover as an everlasting part of the worship of Israel. The consecration of the firstborn. The feast of unleavened bread. Pillars of cloud and fire leading God's people in the way that they should go. Crossing the Red Sea. The song of Moses. Bitter water made sweet. Bread from heaven for 40 years until they came to a habitable land of their own. There's a lot happening before this water from the rock incident. And what happened... It's this God, remember? This king, this God over all, beyond all gods, this one who did all of this for us in our viewing. We were there. We saw it. It's this God. There was no water for the people to drink, and they thirsted in Exodus 17. And God says this to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The Lord is our rock. The Lord is the one, he's the rock of our salvation. He's the one who provides salvation. When salvation, when being rescued, when having hope, when there seems like there's no hope, seems impossible to us, he's bringing water from rock. He's bringing life from death. He's standing in For us, And we'll see more of that a little bit later. But how are we to enjoy the beauty of worshiping this, our great God, the God who provides salvation, the God who brings water from the rock? The psalmist is grappling with this, and we should too. Now, it's hard. The psalms are hard. Let me tell you why. If you have suffering in your life right now, if you have tears to shed right now, if you are struggling in a relationship right now, if you're struggling under the weight of work and what's going on there, if you're struggling with anything any kind of suffering in your life it's hard to hear what we're going to hear but that's exactly why the Lord gives us the psalms because they always take our hearts where they're at and he challenges us when we're low he challenges us to be lifted up when we're lifted up he challenges us to be low you'll see it again and again remember this was the church's worship book we sang hymns earlier the church used to use the psalms for the same thing And some churches still do. So, if you're low, be lifted up. If you're lifted up, enjoy. Remember, God doesn't leave you in just one place. He challenges you to a full range of humanity in your worship. Verse 2. Into his presence, a joyful noise. Right? into his presence. He's present with us and he wants us to be joyful in the noises that we make. I was thinking, I had a fantastic, fantastic border collie named Martha. Martha was fantastic. She's no longer with us, but Martha was brilliant. She was so smart. We taught her how to do, uh, she, you know, being a border collie, she loved to go and get things and bring them back. You know, get things and bring them back. And uh, she loved catch, and I taught that to her from she was very early age. And the, I remember the first time I introduced two tennis balls to the, the equation. I just threw them, they both kind of went like this, and she went, boom, 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 and brought them right back. She was, she was extraordinary. And we taught her, sometimes we would throw, I have, a, I have a couple of idiot savant gifts, and one of them is I can throw a, bit, a ball very, very far. Not necessarily accurately, but I can really make it sail. So I used to throw into the woods, and she would run into the woods. And sometimes she'd be kind of off the mark. And we taught her warm, cold, like the hot, cold thing. And we would use words like warm and warmer and cold, or cool, colder, colder. And it it would get. She would get like if if she was headed the wrong way, we'd say cold or cool, and she would head the other way. And as as she headed the other way, we'd say warmer, getting warmer, because we saw the ball land, right? And eventually she would, and she had a great nose, and she would get up on that ball, and she would get it, right? Mm -hmm. And she would bring it back and drop it in my feet, (laughs) ready to go. She was awesome. I miss Martha. (laughs) Um, Martha was a good friend. Martha used to get so excited to see me. I did a lot of traveling in my seminary years. I would spend time away. And when I came in the door, the kind of hello that I got was an unbridled enthusiasm that was just uncontainable. I mean, she was there to say, I am so glad you're home. I love you. I love you. I love you. Please come in this door right now. Let me be with you. And just, you know, like I would have to hug the dog and just let her settle down. This is the kind of presence, the kind of friendship, the kind of unbridled passion, the kind of exuberance the psalmist calls us to when we're worshiping God. That should challenge us. I do this myself, where I'm praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, I, I've, I've worshiped like that. That's not the picture we have here. It's really not. Think of Martha. Remember Martha. No? That's how we're to come into the Lord's presence. And it's our duty to one another. Verse 1. Oh, come. The voice is gathering us, encouraging us, entreating us. Now, one of the interesting things, and I talked before about how the passage is related to other passages, one of the interesting things sometimes about scriptures, you'll find another place in scripture where it's really unpacked. You're like, oh, what does this mean? Ah, there's a writer here who tells me what it means. And this is one of those passages. Psalm 95 is one of those passages. Hebrews 3 and 4 unpacks this psalm. Go read it. Go read it. It's fantastic. Meditate on it this uh, week and pray. But Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today. So we're to, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. Raise our voices in song and joyful noise. Joyful. Joyful noise. And our focus? Our focus is to the Lord, the rock of our salvation. Remember the one from whom water flowed. Remember the one who stood before the rock, and the rock was hit, and water flowed from the wagon, and, and the people who were thirsty, they drank even when it seemed impossible. Let us come into his presence, verse 2, before him. Let us make a joyful noise to him. Relationship, joyful, uncontainable. Martha barking after I came home from a long trip. We have the presence of the Lord we can go into with exuberance, with thanksgiving, with songs of praise. Now this is interesting. What does it mean to be thankful? You know, I I was saying, uh, Andy Oliver mentioned last week in his prayer he did a great pastoral prayer but he, he mentioned that I had said earlier about Jack Miller. Jack Miller was one of the predecessors of this church being planted and he talked a lot about prayer and pastors knowing like where people were at in their relationship with God and in, in the relationship with the grace of God through the way that they prayed aloud and so Andy talked about that and because the idea is that you know <clears throat> you start to listen for that you feel uncomfortable praying in front of pastors uh, and praying, everyone felt uncomfort, uncomfortable praying in front of Jack Miller because he, he could tell. He could tell that you were dry, or he could tell that you didn't understand grace just the right way. Um, we have a duty to point out the richness of coming into his presence and what we need from that. What, look, verse, uh, verse 6 Oh, come. Right In verse 2, his presence before him, let us make a joyful no- noise with thanksgiving and psalms of praying. This takes thoughtful work and preparation. If we're coming into God's presence, right, and we're doing it with thanksgiving, when people pray, that's where I was going, when people pray, often your prayers are popcorn prayers about things that you need, but you're short on adoration, you're short on thanksgiving, you're short on approaching God for who he is. In and of himself rather than just the things he brings right and so that's something that that we need to look at here when we come into his presence with thanksgiving with songs of praise come with them there's an artistry to this the people of God didn't have the radio back then didn't have mp3s to download didn't have people in the music industry writing songs for them they would have done this themselves what does that mean not everyone here is an artist not everyone's here is a songwriter. What it means is thoughtful work and preparation to come into the Lord's presence. I was uh, seeing an interview <clears throat> with Paul Simon one time. He was talking about how he writes songs. And, you know, he has his home studio and there's kind of a, a slanted ceiling there. And he's got the speaker set up and he's got his material. And he ha- lays down some tracks, some grooves that he likes, no melody yet, just kind of a background, some, some chords, some uh, drums, some bass, and that sort of thing and he works at it. He has a rubber ball. He's kind of a kinetic learner. You read about multiple intelligences. There are different kinds of ways to learn things. Different people have different ways that they learn things, different intelligences. Some people have to move when they learn, right? Paul was like this. So Paul Simon's throwing his his racquetball ball off of the wall, you know. You can be my bodyguard yeah <laughs> you can call me yeah. so he would do this and he would get it you know until he got something it would take him work in the same way coming into the presence of the lord takes work thoughtfulness how do you work how do you learn about who the lord is to you what he's done for you what does he mean to you be thoughtful about it as you come into his presence bring your version of songs of praise compose tunes with lyrics telling how thankful we are about his wonderful work for us your version of that it doesn't have to be, mean that you have to be a musician and write a song. But there's something that you can bring as you prepare. What is that? It's our duty to one another. Oh, come, gathering, encouraging, and treating. Let us. This is what we'll do together. And there's humility in our praise of him. It says, worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord, our maker. Maker here points to the way the Lord has made his people for himself. They are secure in his commitment to them. Okay. Now, this means that we have to humble, humble ourselves in our praise. This is not like giving someone praise, but kind of holding back, knowing that, hey, I think I could do that better, or I know somebody who can do that better. Um, and it's not like that. I was, my family, my children have discovered everybody loves Raymond in syndication. And uh, we watched an episode last night where Deborah charges Ray the value that her work at home is worth, right? Because he says, well, I bring, home the br- I bring home the bacon. I'm a bacon winner. And she says, oh, yeah? And so she gets angry at him. She writes out a list in charge. And it's more than he makes. And, she, and she's like, yeah, uh-huh. Well, then Ray's mom comes over and looks at the list. Oh, no, you know where this is going, right? Comes over and looks at the list. And she encourages her with some praise, right? She gives her some props for what she does, but, you know, she, the whole time she kn- she's thinking, you can tell it on her face, she's such a great actor, I could do much better than you do. In fact, some of these things I think I actually do for you, rather than you doing them, so I should be getting some of this money, you know. That is not uh, the humility with which we need to come to worship. He says, worship and bow down, kneel before the Lord, our maker. Humbly acknowledging his right as creator and king, his sovereign rule over us and over everything about where we live and who we are. We don't tend to do that. We don't tend to live with theocracy. You know, democracy of the people, by the people, for the people, theocracy of God, by God, for God. We don't have the experience of that. How do we live like that? We need to be sure and careful to call each other to that. And then uh, verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, listen, focus. Another Martha story. She had amazing ears for most of her life. Towards the end, she lost her hearing. But most of her life, think about this. I don't know what her senses were doing, but we lived in an apartment building in Manhattan. It was on 92nd Street, and you went into the foyer, and you went up a, a back level of stairs, and then you went into our door. And you could hear things in the foyer but anne always marveled because Martha would stand at attention and she would come to the front door and she would start wagging her tail. You know where I was? I was about 25 feet away from the front door of the very building. I was still outside and she would hear the keys in the lock and she knew. And she was there. She was so attentive. She was so discerning. And then, she, you know, then the big greeting when I came in. Uh, every time my keys hit the front door, her heart leapt. Today, if you hear his voice, be attentive, focus, listen to him. He wants to teach you. He wants to be a light in your darkness. He wants to expand your heart to be able to praise him more and more. He wants to, if you're too haughty and too high and lofty in your own mind, he wants to bring you low. low. Why? For your own good, so that you have balance in your life, that you're able to approach life with reality. He wants both things for you. He wants more for you than you want for yourself right now. Be attentive. Verse 7, hear his voice. What does this mean? Practically for you, it means this week and moving on forward, do some Bible reading and prayer. Some of you have a regular habit of doing that. Others of you are faltering. Life gets in the way. Your relationships get in the way. Your task list gets in the way. Whatever gets in the way. Other things that you enjoy doing get in the way. Make time. Come into his presence. Hear his voice. Bible reading and prayer. We must read the word of God privately and personally, meditating on its life-changing message. Each new day demands a fresh appointment with God, made real through regular Bible reading and prayer. But take time to listen. It mustn't be hurried. It mustn't be hurried. We need this daily meeting with God so that we do not neglect the hearing of the word in our own hearts and mind. David talked about how he'd hidden God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against him. Do you have that? Do you know his word down deep where you're relying on it, you're operating it, you're pulling out of it to make the decisions you make and live the life that you lead? The Christian who does not make a special point of setting aside in each day a particular time for cultivation of his spiritual life or her spiritual life is not likely to make significant progress. You want to know how to grow in your relationships? Grow in your relationship with the king First. And that's where to do it first. In your Bible reading and prayer, there are other ways. We grow through each other, just relating to one another, solving conflict together, forgiving one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, celebrating one another. We know God better through that, for sure. But we're fallible. His word is true and lasts forever. Also listen to his word publicly and study it corporately. That's part of what our home meetings is about. The way that we're tracking along with the same kinds of passages together as we study week to week is so that we can come prepared to be in God's presence together. We can study it together. We can learn together through the way that each other has a perspective we bring to the, the text the Lord is working through that, that brings out more of ourselves than we can bring out on our own. It's important to do this in relationship with one another. It means regular attendance of public worship, Bible study, and home meetings as a part of how we're to hear God. Our healthy worship of a great God is the best thing we could possibly do to deepen our relationships with one another. What deeper foundation for loving one another well do we need? We get to enjoy him together. Let's do that. Okay, so enjoying the beauty of worship. Next, fear of ugliness and rebellion, verses 7 through 11. Verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts. We're commanded by God not to grow cold in our relationship for him, in our relationship with one another through him. Don't grow cold in these things. And he uses the example, Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Here's a specific example of what God means. The, the specific incident mentioned in verse 8 occurs in Exodus seventeen one through 7, and it's often used as a, lack, as a symbol of a lack of trust in God in the relationship we have with God. Massa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. And so the occasion, when is there testing of God and quarreling with God going on? The interesting thing, it says, is that when they had seen my work, your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen what I had done. Remember all the things that had come up before that. They were in slavery. They were without hope. They were dying and perishing And the Lord delivered them in miraculous ways. And he showed up in miraculous ways. When all else seemed lost, he was there. And he was defending them. And yet in the midst of that, they're still putting them to the test. Putting the Lord to the test and asking for proof. Verse 8, watch out, do not harden. Hebrews 3 and 4, remember, uh, talks about the same passage in Psalm 95. Hebrews 3, 12 says, take care. Take care. Take care. What this means is to watch out, and this is how the author of Hebrews puts it, watch out for an evil heart. Watch out for an evil heart. In any of you, that's the language the author of Hebrews says, in any of you, there's no one who's exempt from this. There's no one who's exempt. We need to be reminded. We forget and we need to be reminded. I was listening to the radio this week and I heard an old song by Alanis Morissette called You Ought to Know. It's a scary song, right? It's a, she's kind of freaky in that song. It makes you a little scared. No, I don't want to say I. Um, the idea is that she had she you know the story of the song is that she was in a relationship with somebody who thinks more of himself in the way he handled the relationship ending than he ought. And she says, "Well, I'm here to remind you." Here are her lyrics, really. And every time you speak her name, does she know how you told me? You'd hold me until you died. till you died, but you're still alive. And I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. It's not fair to deny me of the cross I bear that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know. (laughs) I was a little frightened hearing this song again. Um, We have trouble seeing how broken we are and how much we need salvation. We have a real blindness to it. We operate as though everything's okay. We ought to know. It's not. It's worse than you possibly imagine. It's worse than you possibly know. But it doesn't need to get to this. We can remind each other. Remember, the psalmist, the author of Hebrews 3 and 4, that unpacked this, remind us that we can remind each other with joy and passion. Oh, Come! Let us come into the Lord's presence with joy, with thanksgiving. It does come to this, though, because the heart in the Bible is the seat of who we are. It's often, we're often, in our heart, the seat of who we are, the seat of our identity, are likened to trees. Psalm 1 begins with trees as, as the image of us. Blessed are the people who root themselves down into God's law and and what he wants and who he is. They're blessed. Cursed are the people who don't. They're like chaff who dry up and wither away, right? Jesus uses that about how we root down into soil and we bear fruit. And the fruit we bear is connected to the way that we're rooted down. If we're rooted down into God, there's good fruit coming out off of our branches, in our life, through our life. If we're rooted down into bad soil, there's bad fruit. And yet we convince ourselves that it's not so bad. And we try to borrow other people's fruit and put it on our own tree. and We do all kinds of things, but there's a connection between the fruit that you see in your life and the way that you're rooted down. I was thinking about this. You know North Bowl? Who's been to North Bowl? If you've been to North Bowl, you know that the bowling balls are really oily. They're greasy, right? Have you, t- you touched them? There's this residue over the balls. But then you'll look around and you'll notice that everybody's eating tater tots as they bowl. Right? It doesn't take a lot of work to connect what's going on with the greasy bowling balls, does it? In the same way in our lives, it doesn't take a lot to connect. The kind of fruit that we bear. And the kind of roots that we have—either we're rooted down into Christ and His work on our behalf, or we're not. And let me tell you, it doesn't take a lot for one another to see each other, but it takes a ton of work. In fact, we're blinded to the things that we need, so we need each other for that. We need to remind each other, so we need to be careful. And what is this? We have an unbelieving heart. We need to watch out for the evil hearts because of our unbelief. Massa means testing. Maraba means quarreling. I've seen this, you know, um, the old movie Ghostbusters, you're not supposed to cross the streams, right? Don't cross the streams. We do this all the time spiritually with our rootedness. We bear bad fruit, but we talk about good rootedness. Well, you know, yeah, I know that that's a little shady, but like I really, the big picture is that I'm rooted here. Really? No, you're not. And we need to be able to tell each other that in a gracious, winsome way, in a way that hope with hope points us back to the Savior. We've got to be careful of unbelieving heart. I was talking with somebody this week who was despairing a bit. I've experienced a little bit of that. Some of you have too. And in the despair, one of the things you'll say is that oh, I can't, I can't um, show forth patience in this circumstance because it's too overwhelming and I'm too in despair you know what that practically translates to with fruit language fruit of the spirit fruit of god's spirit in you you're saying lord i will bear fruit of patience if in other words it's a justification that you're giving that's not spoken to say I won't bear fruit of the patience, you know, the fruit of the spirit patience if if this occurs. What is that if for you? What is the justification you use for not bearing fruit of the spirit? We get so locked up and so foggy in our own minds that you don't, you, you forget that you're actually, you have no justification. There's no reason why you should not be bearing fruit of the spirit with the grace that you've been given and the mightiness with which you've been saved. And yet we do it all the time. We get mixed up. We think in an unbelieving heart that this is all there is. This is all I can see. This is all there's ever going to be. How can I be patient with that if it doesn't go my way? That's a lie. This leads you to fall away from the living God. These are all langui- This is all languages in Hebrews 3 and 4, so go back and look at it. Fall away from the living God. There was a my kids were a part of a, a playhouse a kid 's play at children 's playhouse theater, and they did musicals and they did straight plays and that we saw um, a performance of cozy Fantuti, Tutu mozart and it 's an interesting it 's an interesting piece because it 's a romance and it starts off with some of the most beautiful music created about the undying love that we have can have for one another in romance and it starts off there and the two guys in the romance say, I'm gonna, let's prove that this isn't, we're really not who we're cracked up to be, that we're really not capable of this kind of unyielding faithfulness. And so they pose as visitors from other places, and they both go about trying to woo the other's fiancés. And after much uh, unfolding in the opera, they succeed and they find out about it and everybody kind of forgives each other because that's just how life is and we got to kind of go with the flow. Uh, the point is is that we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every one of us, every one of us is in danger of that and we need one another and we need the Lord. Don't think that you're exempt. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience and 4.1 says while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear we need to fear our own capacities Miroslav Volf said don't ever exclude yourself from the potential being in the community of those who can commit sin and don't ever exempt them from the community of people to whom redemption can flow there's gospel in there And we need to fear. We need to see the beauty of God's worship. We need to fear. But we also need to enter in God's rest. Verse 8 talks about God's rest. What's going on? You know, Jesus points to this in many, many different places. There's a great place where it says, John 7, 37, 38. It says, on the last day of the feast, what feast? What feast? It was the Feast of Booths. And it was celebrating the time of when uh, God's people were in wandering, and they had to, they just had to wonder. They didn't have a home, right? And they had to follow God, and God was to lead them. And it was right around the same time as the water from the rock. And what does Jesus do? It's the Feast of Booths. What do you think he does? This is what he says. On the last day, day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, And drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus talked about the same living water, the woman in a well, the Samaritan woman, in John 4. He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, talking about the water in the well, talking about our immediate circumstances, talking about our immediate needs. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How is this so? How can Jesus talk about himself in this way? Well, you remember that the psalm that we're looking at points back to Exodus 17, verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock And the water shall come out of it, and the peoples will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders in Israel. Moses swung at the rock with his stick. Who was there to take the blow? It's the Lord himself standing there. Who took the blow so that we could never be thirsty again, so that water would well up to eternal life, and that we would have hope, and that this is not all there is? And that the tears that you face in your life right now will be wiped away if you come to the Lord through him and the work that he's done. In John 19, Jesus was on the cross. And after all of the suffering that he went through, knowing that it was all now finished, said this to fulfill scripture, I thirst. You are thirsty in your life for things to fulfill you, things to make you who you are, things to give you an identity. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be the way people think about you. It could be the control that you maintain over life. It could be the power that you wield in your position. It could be anything. It could be anything. You're longing for God in those things that you're longing for. And the good news of the gospel is that you can have him. You can drink fully of him. You can uh, be overwhelmingly quenched in your thirst. Why? Because Jesus was thirsty on your behalf. He went without on your behalf, on the cross, so that you could have. Well, we covered that we are to enjoy the beauty of worship. Verses 1 through 7 were more loved than we ever dared hope. You've got to remember that. We also covered the fact that our need to fear the ugliness of rebellion is important, verses 7 through 11. We're more wretched than we ever dare believe. And lastly, we need to enter into God's rest, verse 8. Our God can bring water from a rock, life from deadness. Jesus gives us living water that wells up into eternal life and allows us to enter the rest of God. Our identity in worship affects who we are in relationship. Let's worship together in Him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you have called us out of darkness into the light of your presence. You've called us out of the darkness of our own minds, our own wonderings, our own desires, into the light of your presence, the one who renews, redeems, restores, gives us the the capacities that we need to love you more and more for who you are and less and less for what you bring. Although they're tied up together, we tend to turn it around, Father. We tend to seek you for what you bring rather than for who you are in and of yourself. Let us enter your presence with joyful thanksgiving and songs of praise, not because we're capable, because the Mighty One Jesus stood in our place and became living water for us. Let us drink deeply now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.